0: All right, we're going to go to the Word of God this morning, so open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, our Master Text in Romans chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I'm going to start out. And actually, you know what, let me, let me pray first, and then, then we'll do this. Father, I want to just thank you so much for what this day represents. Of course, every day is Resurrection Day for the Christian But there is a day where we love to celebrate the fact that you, Lord Jesus, did rise from the dead and you purchased salvation for us and you overcame death, hell, and the grave. You snatched away the the keys to the the death, hell, and the grave from Satan, the keys of the kingdom, and you plundered hell in Jesus' name. And thank you, Lord, that we are the beneficiaries of what you accomplished on the cross. So we're just going to celebrate that today, Lord. So as the word goes forth and it's proclaimed today, we pray that as I open my mouth, you would fill it with words of life, that as the word goes forth, that it would accomplish the purpose for which it is sent and not return void, and that your kingdom would be expanded today, that your enemy's kingdom would be decimated today. And as the word goes forth to proclaim the risen Savior, that the, the enemy's of darkness would cower in fear and pain as the name of Jesus is proclaimed as risen and victorious. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, yeah. Well, I usually don't start my teachings with jokes, but I'm gonna make an exception this morning. Uh, There was a man who decided to take his uh, wife and his mother-in-law to the Holy Land in Israel, and unfortunately, his mother-in-law passed away while they were there, and uh, the undertaker told him, you can have her body shipped back to the United States for $5,000, or you can have her buried right here in Israel for $150. The man thought about it for a moment, and he decided to go ahead and have his mother-in-law's body shipped back to, to the United States. And the undertaker was a bit surprised. He said, why would you spend that kind of money to ship the body back to the United States when you can have your dear mother-in-law buried right here in the land of the Holy Land for $150? And the man responded, well, I heard that 2,000 years ago someone was raised from the dead here in the Holy Land and I just didn't want to take the chance that that might happen again. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Uh, just kidding, just kidding. Um, I had a mother-in-law that I loved before she went to be with Jesus. She was a wonderful woman, so uh, I love mothers-in-law everywhere, so you should too. (laughs) Okay, praise God. Well, on Easter Sunday, and what I prefer to call Resurrection Sunday... Uh, I usually do a sermon, and I do this almost every year. I usually do a sermon that highlights the historical evidence of the fact that Jesus was, in fact, raised from the dead. That really did happen. It's provable by history. Uh, And so I I usually like to give that kind of information on uh, Resurrection Sunday, uh, because then that paves the way for me to give a proclamation of the gospel. But I'm gonna go in a little bit of a different direction today. Now, and by the way, if you're interested in that kind of information about the historical evidence of Christ's resurrection, that that really did happen, I might recommend that you begin with a movie called The Case for Christ, which is the true story of Lee Strobel. Now, Lee Strobel was an atheist and a uh, investigative reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. And he was a very staunch atheist, And his wife got saved, and that didn't make him very happy. So he went on a two-year journey of investigating the claims that Jesus was raised from the dead. I mean, he looked at history, science. It took him two years. And he came away from that two-year investigation convinced that Jesus did raise from the dead and that he is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and he came back proclaiming his faith in Jesus Christ. He's only one person that did that. or I'm, I'm sorry, he's only one of many people that did that. I could go on and on with other people down through time who have done similar sorts of things and went out to Try to come up with evidence to overturn various areas of the Bible. And specifically, the resurrection has been targeted over and over again. And those people came back believing. Okay, so um, again, I, I, I love talking about that, but I'm going to go in a different direction today. I just feel like the Holy Spirit um, was guiding me to go in a different direction today. So today, I'm going to address the results of Jesus' death and resurrection and exactly what that provided. So if you're in Romans chapter 6, I'd like us to go ahead and read that master text. So if you will, stand with me and let's honor the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read the first seven verses of Romans. Romans chapter 6. And it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. I like another version that says we were raised to newness of life. I like that wording. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to jump into this. I heard a story of a a goat farmer who had one of his goats stolen, and he was able to track it down after a few days, and unfortunately, he found it laying in a ditch with its feet tied together. And uh, when he untied the goat's feet, it just continued to lay there. It just, it didn't seem to realize that it had been set free. So I guess it just got so used to lying there that that became its new reality, And so when it was unbound, they didn't know what to do next. So the farmer actually had to pick the goat up and put it on its feet. And once it realized that it was free, it started to run and jump and leap about to to enjoy its new freedom. Well, folks, I think um, a lot of Christians are in a similar state of bondage. And we're going to address that today as we talk about living in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. So why did, i want to deal with this question first, why did God make only one way to salvation? One way. Well, it's because mankind has a problem we cannot solve ourselves, and that problem is called sin. We can't solve that problem ourselves. So Jesus made a way for that problem to be solved for us when we place our faith in Christ. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12 and verse 18, it says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the condition of mankind, that Jesus came to, To set us free from. So, why did Jesus make only, why did God only make one way through Jesus then? Well, it's because all other religions of the world, ladies and gentlemen, provide a means of, quote, spirituality that attempts to bypass the cross and personal repentance. Did you you hear what I said there? All other religions of the world, I heard it explained this way all other religions are an attempt to reach up to God and to appease Him with some sort of ritual or behavior. But Christianity is God reaching down to man. Okay, so all other religions of the world provide a means of quote-unquote spirituality that attempts to bypass that process. It attempts to bypass the cross and personal repentance. Let me show you what I mean. So why do the masses... Reject the Savior. Well, folks, once again, all other religions of the world are religions of works because that appeals to mankind's sense of accomplishment. That appeals to mankind's sense of accomplishment. Like, I did this myself. But let me show you what the Bible says about that. This is a familiar passage right here. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace unmerited favor. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, all your religious ceremony and trying to appease God through your works, not by works so that no one can boast. You're never going to be able to say, I made it to heaven or I please God because I dot every I and cross every T of the religious law. Okay? Because it's a, it's a gift. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we're not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. Now, most people know this passage right here, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but very few people uh, know what the very next verse is in verse 10, which address, addresses what I just said. For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So once again, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for and to do good works. This is a key concept right here. I really want you to get this, and this will excite you. God has never, get this folks, God has never related to mankind based upon what we deserve. I'm talking about people that are in Christ. Through the cross and only through the cross, God now relates to those who trust in him based upon what Jesus deserves. Are you awake this morning? Come on now, help me out here. That deserves a a little bit more of a celebratory response than that. Let's take a 10 second praise break on that point right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I, I, I want to say that again. Through the cross and only through the cross, God now relates to those who trust in Him based upon what Jesus deserves. Hallelujah. So, I'm going to talk to you about then the transformative power of resurrection. The transformative power in resurrection. And by doing so, I'm going to introduce you to uh, several uh, Greek words. If, if you'll indulge me this morning. I'm going to get into the Greek kind of heavily this morning. I hope not to bore you with the ancient languages, but I think it's important to understand some of the ancient languages so we can realize what we're missing in the English translations. Because Greek, as I've said many times to you before, Greek is a very expansive language. And when when such an expansive language is is attempted to be squeezed down into this very simplistic language we know as English, we lose some things in the translation. So there's actually four different Greek words for redemption in the Greek. And it's only translated into English as one word, redemption. So I'm going to introduce you to these four words, um, these words for redeem. Uh, so that we can really more fully understand what redemption provided for us. So, to redeem something, I want to define that first. To redeem something means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for a payment. Okay, that's what redeem means. Second definition, redeem is a, means that it's a compensation for the faults or bad aspects of something or someone. That's what it means to redeem or redemption. We're going to reference here Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, which says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me give you another one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of his grace. That's Ephesians 1, 7. And Romans 3.24 tells us all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, again, as I've already said, there's four different words in the New Testament for that word that's been translated down into one English word, redemption. Okay, And they are these. I'm just going to show them to you, and then I'm going to define them and explain and elaborate more. They're agorizo, ex lutru and apolitrosis. So by understanding redemption, we're able to comprehend and operate in our Christ-bought freedom from and authority over the kingdom of darkness. So don't let the Greek that I'm going to dive into here lose you. I'm hoping to be able to explain this in a way that you'll understand it, that makes more sense, that elaborates ...on this term redemption even more because this is all really good news once you understand redemption. Okay, are you ready? Okay, now this part's not in your notes, by the way. The, the, the Greek words and what have you, those are not, not in the notes. I thought that would be probably a little bit too laborious for your bulletin. Uh, so pay real close attention here. All right, so this first word, agorizo, in Ro- Romans 7.14, it says this. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. All right, so that word sold in the ancient Greek is the word piprosco, and it describes a transfer of property, a transfer of property. And the word slave there is agorizo, which I want to talk about for a few minutes. Agorizo uh, was commonly referred to the marketplace and more specifically the slave market, Okay, So this word for redemption, agarizzo, was used to describe the condition that we were in prior to being redeemed. So, see, by the time that Jesus had come into the world, mankind was hopelessly and completely under the rule of a harsh taskmaster, Satan. Romans 6.17 says that we were servants or slaves of sin we were slaves of sin see our slave owner did everything that he could to damage our self image and hurt or kill our bodies with various sin and vices designed to mar us emotionally and enslave us more thoroughly See, whether we were aware of it or not, this hellish ownership took us ever deeper into the captivity of sin and total depravity. So by using this word, then, uh, Paul affirms that mankind uh, had been transferred from the hands of God. Listen real closely. By using this word, Paul affirms that mankind had been transferred from the hands of God into a new owner. Satan. That's what happened. Now, while we may have thought that it was us who was calling the shots, in reality, our wills were swallowed up in the will of Satan. Let me give you some further evidence of that. See, that means you were, prior to Christ, demonically energized. You were demonically energized. Energize. Let me give you some scriptural evidence of that. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, it says this. Uh, Satan is the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now that word worketh, it was translated into the English, is from the Greek word energeo. And it denotes a power that is operative or energizing. So this verse vividly portrays how destitute we were spiritually before we were born again. As a matter of fact, this verse declares that prior to our salvation, we were energized by demon spirits. How's that for a reality check? All right. Now... This same word agorizo also appears in 1 Corinthians 6.20 where it says you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. So redemption, agorizo, fully understood, means that Jesus came into the, a, a stinking slave market, a stinking cesspool of a slave market to redeem us from our miserable state of bondage. So I want to elaborate. That word bought Uh, uh, bought in 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price, is the word agorizo. So once again, it implies that Jesus came into a stinking slave market to redeem us out of our miserable state of bondage. He bought us out. Agorizo. Amen. Now let's look at another Greek word here for redemption that appears in the New Testament, and that's the word ex-agorizo. Now this is a compound word. It comes from two words, ex, meaning out, and agorizo, which means the slave market. So the use of this word ex agorizo, then for redemption describes someone who has come to purchase a slave out of the slave market, and it's used several times in Paul's epistles. Here's a perfect example right here. Galatians 3.13, which says, Christ has redeemed us. That's ex agorizo. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. So, this verse describes a slave who has been liberated, who has been liberated out of that disgusting slave market forever, never to be put back on the auction block again. Praise God. So by using the word ex agorizo in connection with Jesus as redeeming us from the curse of the law, Paul was telling us plainly that Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross not only paid the penalty for our sin, but it also removed us from living under the curse and bondage of it in this life. Praise God. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to move on now to give you yet a third word that's used in the New Testament for redemption, and that's the word lutru. Lutru. It means to set a captive free by the payment of a ransom. Set a captive free by the payment of a ransom. And that appears in Titus 2.14, which says, He who gave himself for us to redeem us, lutru, From all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, once again, that word redeem in that verse is taken from the Greek word lutru. So, let's elaborate on this. In using the word lutru in connection with Christ's work of redemption, Paul reminds us that our freedom from Satan's power was extremely expensive. It was extremely expensive. In fact, it cost Jesus his own life and blood. It was the highest price ever paid for a slave in the history of mankind. So once again, Titus declares that Jesus himself gave himself as a ransom in order to set us free. You getting happy yet? Well, I'm not done. There's yet a, a fourth word that's used in the, the Greek New Testament for redemption, and that's the word apolutrosis. Now, this is also a compound word. It comes from the words apo, which means away, and it conveys the idea of a return or something being returned back. Praise God. And the second part of that word, apolatrosis, is lutrosis, which is a derivative from the word that we just looked at, lutru, which again means to set a slave free by the payment of a, of a ransom. So that particular word appears in Ephesians 1-7 that says this, in whom Christ we have the redemption, apolatrosis, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his Grace, Hallelujah. So this fourth word for redemption tells us that God's ultimate purpose in redeeming us from Satan's slave market was to return us to the condition that we were in prior to our captivity. What's that refer to? The Garden of Eden. That's what it's referring to. So by choosing this word, apolotrosis, Scripture declares that we were forever removed from that terrible place of slavery. And now we've been fully restored by the blood of Jesus Christ and placed back into right standing with God. Amen. Praise God. Now, Now, wait a minute. There's a condition on this. There's a catch. Okay? Here's the catch. When we repent... When we repent and turn to Jesus in faith, asking Him to be our Savior, we give up our rights and we become a living sacrifice. When we repent and turn to Jesus in faith, we are then fully forgiven, fully restored, and fully set free from Satan's former grip over us. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah, go ahead. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to talk about just for a moment here with this one verse, uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 13 through 15, how God sees you now through the eyes of redemption. Okay, let's read this verse together. You were, past tense, dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then, after You came to Christ in repentance. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Praise God. Yeah, hallelujah. This is all good news today. All right. So we are now considered sons and daughters of God. Not just servants, not just slaves, but sons and daughters of God. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and by implication also a daughter. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Praise God. Now, l- let, me, let me address something here real quick. Um, some people may ask, well then, why am I still struggling? We well, you know Hosea 4.6 says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. See, you can't have, and I'm talking about freedom from the bondage of sin and the control of sin is what I'm referring to right now. You can't have What you don't know belongs to you because everything in God's kingdom is obtained by faith. I want to say that again. Everything in God's kingdom is obtained by faith. So it kind of goes back to the goat story that I told earlier. The goat laid there and got used to being bound. And so when it was set free, it didn't even realize it had been set free and just kind of continued to lay there. Until the farmer picked it up and put it on his feet. Okay? So, if you don't realize how much Christ has set you free, you won't act free. You've heard me say something before that kind of topples some sacred cows. I think in some religious groups it would almost seem blasphemous, this next statement I'm going to make. But it's a very biblical statement. And, and that's this, you hear people say sometimes, well, you know, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, I realize that's a popular saying in our culture, but let me tell you something, it's not biblical. Because the Bible says that when you come to Christ, you're no longer a sinner, you are a saint. See, if you continue to identify as a sinner, guess what you're going to act like? A sinner. But if you identify as a saint, your new nature, you more progressively begin acting like a saint, a son or a daughter of God. You see, it's all about a mindset. It's all about having faith in what Jesus did for you and what he accomplished for you. That's why you hear me quote this all the time, especially on our communion service Sundays. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, He, Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for you so that we might become, and this is an incredible statement, so we might become the righteousness of God. Me? The righteousness of God? After all I've done? Yeah, because all those things, if you're in Christ and truly repented, all those things are washed away They're in the past, they're forgotten by God, not because he has a bad memory, because he chooses to forget them, throws them in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers them no more, throws them as far as the east is from the west, is an infinite line, and remembers your sins no more. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees the blood of Jesus. So that you truly are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus man, 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 if I had a big industrial drill right now, I would just like drill that into your heads right now, and just, vroom. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say that with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. One, two, three. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how bad you blew it yesterday, if you're in Christ, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the devil would like to make you think, well, you've gone too far now. You've gone, I mean, you've gone too far now. You might as well just forget this whole thing and go the rest. Oh, he would love that. But see, he can only pull that over on you if you're ignorant about the word of God. God will take you back and forgive you and wash you off yet again and again and again, as many times as it takes for you to come back to Him. His mercies, folks, are new every morning. His loving kindness is fresh every day. It's endless. The only way, listen to me, the only way that that you can continue sinning and then be outside of God's good graces is if you eventually sin so often and so much and resist and stiff arm the Holy Spirit that your conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron, the Bible says, and you keep stiff arming the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go that way. And you're like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it anymore. And then eventually, I don't know where that line is, but eventually you can fall away completely. But you know what else is true? You can come back any day. You can come back any day. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, so once again, we can't have what we don't know belongs to us. We have to get that concept of who we are in Christ drilled in our hearts and minds so that we can begin living and acting in the victory that Jesus has in mind for us. Aren't you happy about that? So let me summarize really quick. Let me go back through those four Greek words really quick so you can have another look at the redemptive process here. So agorizo it really describes this. Jesus came into the world to locate us in our depravity and personally inspect our slavery to Satan. That's one word for redemption. The second Greek word for redemption, ex-agarizo, Jesus came to remove us, from Satan's power. Lutru, Jesus paid a very high price to purchase us out of slavery. And Apolotrosis, Jesus restored us to the position of sons of God. Thus, we are fully restored and made joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. All right. now right, I'm coming down home stretch here, but uh, let me go a different direction here. We are now free from Satan's power and over Satan's power. And I love this quote from Rick Renner in his book Dressed to Kill. And this kind of like ties what I've said so far up into a very nice bow. And this is very exciting too. Uh, uh, Let's read this together. Satan has no legal right to control us, our bodies, our families, our businesses, or our money. Although we once belonged to Him, we are no longer His to manipulate or dominate. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been utterly and completely set free from Satan's control. Don't you love that? But but listen, once again, you have to know what belongs to you and then walk and live in your God-given freedom and authority. Praise God. So, So let me... you an analogy of what I mean here. Let's say a woman is married to a man who beats her and terrorizes her and verbally assaults her and just is a horrible, wicked person. And finally, because of concern for her own life, she gets away from him and moves out and threatens to divorce him. Well, he can continue to manipulate and dominate her through various forms of manipulation and control and fear. He can threaten her, or he can threaten to kill himself if she doesn't come back in order to try to gain her pity. And we've seen these types of scenarios play out over and over with people. Different forms of manipulation. But once she realizes that she's now independent And she doesn't have to be concerned with what happens to him at this point because it's not her problem anymore. Once she realizes that she's independent, it's at that point that she can be free from his control. He's no longer able to control her once she gets a revelation that I don't have to be subject to this kind of treatment anymore. I don't have to live with a man who beats me up every other week. I don't have to live with a man who's cheating on me. I don't have to live with a man who's manipulating me and terrorizes me, right? Right. Once she gets a rub, And, and some people, some women, I'm telling you, they have this mindset that, you know, I just have to subject myself to this because, you know, I don't know what he'll do to himself if I leave, that sort of thing. Or there's this codependency sometimes where women cling to men who are horrible to them and cheat on them and and, and physically abuse them. And and just some women, because of their codependency, um, just allow men to control them like that. But once they get that revelation, I don't have to put up with this anymore. Then they're free of that kind of control. And that's what I'm talking about where Satan is concerned. Once you get a revelation of what Jesus did for you on the cross, you don't have to be dominated by his tactics any longer. So let me elaborate on that for a moment. We are indeed free indeed. Hallelujah. All right. So we are by right of purchase. Jesus purchased us. He purchased us off the the auction block. Out of the slave market. We are by right of purchase, and because of the ownership of a new master, we are free now from the curses of the law. And these rights are obtained by faith. They don't apply to everyone. Only those who take hold of them by faith. Those who say, thank you very much, I'll take it. By faith. Okay? We're going to go back to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 for a moment. For it is by grace you have been saved, there it is, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, it's a gift of God, it's obtained by faith. There's nothing that you can do to buy your salvation. It's a free gift, it's obtained by faith. Faith. By faith. You see, even though you and I got saved, I'm I'm kind of backpedaling a little bit here to make an additional point, to emphasize an additional point. Once you and I got saved, um, you know, we can be legitimately saved and going to heaven. But many people still live in bondage in various areas of their lives. And God wants you to know that You now have power through Jesus Christ to rid yourself of every defiling behavior and thought process and habit. Praise God. Now, I want to say this too it won't always be easy because we still have a sin nature. Okay? But His resurrection power is there to see you through every trial. Every temptation, every sinful tendency, and everything that threatens the abundant life that Jesus came to give us and that He promised us. He said, The enemy, meaning the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's His goal for you, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But, but what was the back half of that? But I have come, He said, so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Praise God. Hallelujah. So Jesus is resurrection power. And that power provides benefit in this life as well as the life to come. A lot of people think that Jesus' resurrection power is just for the, the hereafter, the great by and by. But no, there's benefit in this life as well as the life to come. So let's end where we began by going back to our master text and re-examining that based upon what we've just talked about. So let's look at that again on the screen. What shall we say then? Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or aren't you aware that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Praise God. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Hallelujah. So, yeah. So, yes, we have been saved. Listen, we have been saved from the punishment of our sins. And folks, listen, if that's all that redemption was, it would still be amazing grace. But we are also freed from sin's mastery over us in this life too. And I know that's a statement that not a lot of people could really wrap their minds around because of the bondage they may be in right now. But that's the concept we're going to explore in the next series. So stay tuned for more. We're going to talk about this more in the series that follow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is just kind of a, a launching pad for the series that we're, we're going to be talking about um, in the weeks to come. So stand with me, if you will. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Yeah. Hallelujah.